Well, if you want to turn to uh, Psalm 39, Psalm 39 is going to be our sermon text today. If you don't have a Bible, we can get you one, or you can look at the text printed in the back of your bulletin. Uh, Our custom is here to stand for the reading of of the Scriptures, for God's Word, so I'll ask if you're able to do so, to do that at this time. Give ear to the reading of God's Holy Word, Psalm 39. To the choir master, to Jedithun, a psalm of David. David writes, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held, held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me, and I, as I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know the, my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the the scorn of the fool. I am mute, I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, this psalm, as we just read, as I was reading that and you were following along, you might have found yourself thinking that this... This isn't the most encouraging psalm you've ever read in your life. Everything about it, some of it's quite hard to, to read and to think about. Um, and if uh, some of you weren't here with us last, uh, last time, we went through Psalm 38, the previous psalm. And in that psalm, there, this, this psalm continues a lot of the same themes that were found in our founded Psalm 38. Uh, once again, just like in the previous psalm, David writes of undergoing chastisement or discipline from God. For his sin, that he is undergoing the, what sometimes is referred to as the fatherly displeasure of God for his, for his sin. And many commentators believe that Psalms 38 through 41, that they're not just there, you know, sometimes we think that almost like the Psalms were just kind of randomly thrown together. That the order is irrelevant, that they just kind of were thrown in a, a hopper and spun around and, and, you know, like throwing darts at a dartboard. Uh, but that's not really the case. If you read through the Psalms, you'll notice there's, there's quite a bit of order to them. That, that there's a flow to the Psalms. Uh, and Psalms 38 through 41, as many believe, uh, they're placed in the order they are together in the book of Psalms for a good reason. That they form something of a unit. That they go together and should be read together and are read better if you read them uh, together consecutively. They share a lot of common themes. 
Uh, many believe that they, they really are about the same circumstance, whatever that may have been. We don't know for sure what it was in David's life. And last time we looked at Psalm 38, we saw that the Christian life, uh, also last Sunday, is not always an easy life, is it? It's not always an easy life. Our problems, our sufferings, our afflictions, um, they don't always pass away or resolve themselves quickly. You know, we're, we're of a generation that wants everything fast. You know, we, we watch, in the TV shows we watch, we saw last time, we, you know, usually the, all the problems are resolved within the hour. You know, you have a problem, you have a resolution at the end, it's all done. Well, life isn't really like that, is it? And this psalm testifies to that to us once again. God's fatherly discipline and chastisement that you and I do at times go undergo for our sin, sometimes that chastisement lingers. It doesn't go away right away. It doesn't always go away quickly. Sometimes it lasts longer than you and I might expect, certainly longer than we might like. Even in this psalm, we see that we don't see a resolution to David's sufferings yet. If we were writing the psalms, which we, thankfully we aren't, they would have been over at the end of Psalm 38. And yet it's not. It goes into Psalm 39. And it goes even into Psalm 40. You know, if anything, you know, sometimes Psalm 40 is one of those psalms that, that, uh, that sticks in our minds. As for some of you, that might be your favorite psalm, or maybe a certain verse from it might be your favorite verse. But if you read Psalms 38 and 39, our present text and the previous psalm, and then you get to Psalm 40, it adds a lot more weight to the opening verses of Psalm 40 when you read it in light of the one that we're looking at now. Psalm 40, the first three verses say this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now you can, you can get something out of that psalm anytime when you read it. See, I, I trust that it's encouraging to you if you're a believer, but when you read it in light of David's circumstances under the, the heavy hand of God for his transgressions in Psalm 38 and 39, it makes those first few verses of, of Psalm 40 have a whole new significance, doesn't it? When David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, he's talking about discipline that we're looking at in our psalm even this morning. That David waited long and hard and prayed long and hard and persevered in prayer. And now when God finally lifts the fog, so to speak, and lifts his heavy hand from, from David, David can't help but praise the Lord for his deliverance and praise the Lord for his mercy, for hearing his cry and drawing him up from the pit in the miry bog, and he put a new song in his mouth. No wonder David was so quick to sing in Psalm 40, that new song that God gave him for his salvation. Well, we're going to look at at least three things from our psalm here this morning, from Psalm 39. We'll get to Psalm 40 next, next time, next first Sunday of the month. But we're going to see three things at least, hopefully from this text. We're going to see David's silence. David's silence. Secondly, David's prayer. And thirdly, David's hope. So David's silence, his prayer, and his hope. The first thing is David's silence. In verse 1 he says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. 
I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. You know, it's as if David didn't trust himself to not do or say the wrong thing. You ever felt like that? Yeah, all the time, maybe, maybe more than you might might like. But you, you just you know you're not in the right place. You're not in a good place for whatever reason, whether you're undergoing God's discipline or not. And you kind of worry that you know if I open my mouth, the wrong thing's going to come out. If I do something, I'm going to do the wrong thing. So what did David do? David guarded, set a watch over two things. And what are they? His ways, verse one, and his words, his mouth. He set a guard over. His mouth. Now, why, why did David feel the need to set a guard over his mouth and over his ways? He was worried that he would sin with his tongue. That's what he says in, in our text. And not just sin with his tongue, but he didn't want to sin, especially in the presence of whom? The wicked, in the presence of the wicked, verse 1. His main concern was that he not make things worse by sinning with his tongue. The last thing he wanted to do was give the wicked an excuse to blaspheme the name of his God and his Savior. Think about his context here. He's suffering under the heavy hand of God, the discipline of his heavenly Father for whatever his sin may have been at the time. We don't know what it was. He's suffering. It's not a good time in his life. It's not a pleasant time in his life. But what happens if he gives vent to that among the wicked? What happens? See, that's how God treats his servants. See, it's no use serving the the one true and living God. That's what they'd be tempted to say. And so David set a guard over his ways and over his, his mouth. You know, isn't it the case, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, haven't you found it to be the case that it seems like unbelievers and scoffers are always there watching wherever you happen to be, whether it be at work or somewhere else. And they're just waiting for any excuse to try to discredit the Christian faith. See, I knew it was full of it. I knew this Christian thing, this gospel thing, was just another, just another trick. They look for the slightest misstep that you make as one of God's people and use that to cast doubts on the truth of the gospel. They wait for the slightest slip of your tongue in a moment of weakness or suffering to justify their unbelief, their rejection of Christ or even their blasphemy against the holy name of God. Well, you and I should learn from David's example in this psalm that we too need to set a guard over our lips, especially in time of, of even of suffering. Sometimes venting, especially to the wrong people, isn't just a bad idea, but is actually sinful in God's sight. Sometimes what you and I might think of as being just, we, call it, we say we're being transparent, or today's, the hot word today in our day, the buzzword is authentic. You know, we're just being authentic. Well, sometimes being authentic before the wrong people is just an excuse for sinful speech. This is just the way God wired me. This is just the way, where I am at the moment. And so we say, say things that are displeasing and dishonoring to God and our Savior. Even when you and I are suffering, and maybe especially when you and I are suffering We have to be on guard lest we speak in such a way as to cause dishonor to the name of Christ. It kind of reminds me of the the opening chapters of the book of Job. You know, uh, if you've probably read Job, maybe you haven't. If you have read it, maybe you were surprised how long the book was. We would have probably preferred Job to be about four chapters. 
Uh, it's 40-some chapters, isn't it? It's quite long. You get the feeling that Job's suffering wasn't very short. And if you know the book of Job, Job suffered unimaginable things. I can't help but read the first chapter of Job and shudder. You almost don't want to read it. You're worried it might rub off on you. You know, it's, it's that kind of a, of a book. And, we, and, and, you know, remember in the book of Job, Job didn't know why. God didn't pull the curtain back. We know why, because God gave it to us in his word, but Job didn't know. And as far as we know, at least in the book of Job, even at the end, God never tells him. He restores his fortunes to him. He restores his blessing to him, but he never tells him. Remember what he lost? He lost all of his livestock. That's his money. That's somebody taking your entire bank account and just, it's gone. It's his livelihood. He lost all of his servants, his workers. He lost all of his sons and daughters all at one time. Remember the messengers? It was almost like coming one after the other. The one's just getting done talking, and the next one comes in and says, I've got bad news. Something else happened. He basically lost everything and found out about it all at once. And so what did Job do? He mourned. He mourned. But what else did Job do? Something that you and I wouldn't think probably to do on our own. It even says in Job 1 that he worshipped. Job 1, 20-21 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed, not cursed, blessed be the name of the Lord. The very next verse, verse 22, adds, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's the sin David's trying to avoid, isn't it? He vents, he doesn't want to charge God with wrongdoing. He doesn't want to charge in front of the, the wicked, especially, that, hey, God shouldn't have done this to me. Why am I suffering the way that I'm suffering? God did something wrong. God did something he shouldn't have done. You know, in, in that case, in these early chapters of Job, Job and his friends actually set us a pretty good example. Job 2.13 2, says that his friends who came to mourn with him, it says they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Now sometimes there's nothing you can say. Sometimes you just have to go be there. That's the way it works. And if you've read the rest of the book of Job, if, if only they had quit while they were ahead. If only they had sat with him for seven days and kept their mouths shut. And he as well. But as we know the rest of the story, neither one of them was able to maintain their, their silence. Well, what, what was the result in our psalm, Psalm 39, of David's silence? What happened when David held his peace? When David bit his tongue and watched his words, verses 2 to 3, it says, I was mute and silent I held my peace to no avail. Like it, it did no good. It didn't help. And my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I amused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. So David bit his tongue, but what happened? Kind of a, you know, the fire within his heart just burned more. It says in verse 2, his distress, it made it worse. It made him feel even worse by holding his peace. He says the more he mused, the word mused, or it means thinking, or thinking about it, considering, pondering it, the more he thought about his situation, 
a fire burned more and more within him to the point that he finally spoke. It's like, you know, it's, it's like he, a pressure cooker. He couldn't hold out anymore and he had to finally speak. And that brings us to our second point, and that's David's prayer. David held his peace as long as he could, but when he couldn't stay silent, he didn't. He finally talked. And what, what did he say, and maybe more importantly, to whom did he say it? Who did David go to? Who did David talk to? It doesn't mean you can't talk to someone else, but who did David talk to? He prayed. He prayed to God. When he couldn't hold it in anymore, and he was worried about talking to the wicked and, and dishonoring God's name, he finally gave in and prayed to God himself. If he was going to vent his sorrows and sufferings, it wasn't going to be to the wicked. It was going to be to his God and Savior in prayer. And we should learn from that as well. That, that, that may seem like the obvious thing to do, right? You know, if you were going to take a quiz on the Christian life, you know, when things are hap- bad happening, you know, if things happen bad in your life, what do you do? And you have, you multiply, make it easy, multiple choice, you know, A, B, C, D, and A is pray. You probably don't need to even read B, C, and D. You know, well, yeah, of course, pray. But when it actually happens, what do you do? Seems like it's always the last resort, isn't it? Rather than our first line of, of defense. Uh, you know, when we're suffering and when we're being chastised by the Lord, we don't always, especially when we're being chastised. The, the very thing God uses to turn you back to him, sometimes we kind of dig our heels in like a kid. You know, we, we, we don't learn much as we get older. We dig our heels in sometimes even more. Well, David, David teaches us uh, to turn to God in prayer when we're going through those kinds of things. This psalm and others like it, even Psalm 38, they help you and I learn how to pray and even how to worship during time of trial and affliction. In every psalm, it should be instructive to us that when you read through the psalms, there are so many that are laments and so many psalms like this that aren't necessarily those happy, happy psalms that you like to sing, but these are meant for worship as well. Just like Job worshipped when bad things happened, these psalms teach us you can worship God in any circumstance that God sends your way. And what was the substance of David's prayer? What did David pray for when he talked to God. You know, it's nice that, that we can be honest with God in prayer and how comforting that, that is. But what did David pray? What did he ask of the Lord? What's the first thing he asked of the Lord in this psalm, in this prayer? Look at verses 4 through 6. He says, Oh Lord, here's, when he, remember when he says he finally couldn't hold his peace and here's what he said, what did he say? Verse 4, Oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. That's the first thing he asked for. I dare say that wouldn't come to most of our minds naturally without the scripture pointing us in that direction. He asked God to make him know his end. And what was the measure of his days? He asked God to let him know how fleeting he was in verse 4. David is suffering under the heavy hand of God for his sin. And what did that lead him to be reminded of? The brevity of human life. The insignificance of not only his life, but all of mankind lived apart from God and lived even in comparison to God. 
God is the one who inhabits all eternity. Compared to him, our, our lives are as a snap of the fingers. They're a breath, they're a shadow, they're a hand breath compared to God. Psalm 90 uh, was written, you might not know this, but one of the Psalms was written by Moses. Psalm 90 was written by Moses himself. And there Moses writes of something very similar here to what David writes in this psalm. And I think that, that should also be instructive and encouraging for you and for me. Some of God's choicest saints in Scripture experience these things as well. So if you go through something like this, you're in pretty good company when you find yourself under the chastisement and heavy hand of God for sin. Uh, you aren't the only one. David and Moses have been there and done that. Moses writes in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. We're slow to learn that. You and I would do well to remember those things. And yet those are the things that very few people spend much time thinking about. Most people spend a lot of their time and energy and resources trying to avoid thinking about that, if at all possible. Most people avoid that subject entirely. We avoid thinking about the brevity of life at all, almost at all costs, don't we? We avoid thinking about death at all costs. We avoid thinking about eternity sometimes at all costs. And we distract ourselves from these things by all kinds of endless amusements and entertainments. People have probably always been this way, but I think we might just be the most distracted generation in human history. We don't stop to smell the roses, much less to think about eternity much. I, for this reason, this is one of the things that I, I say once in a while, that you know, we should be careful. We should never skip a funeral. I, uh, we had a funeral for a, a, a relative uh, a while back in Arizona, and I, I had the privilege of leading that. Uh, but I was standing in some of the downtime talking to the, the, the director of the funeral home, and was just trying to encourage him and say that, you know, what you're doing is an important thing that most people don't want to think about and neglect, but you minister to people at a time when they need it most in a lot of ways. And, and he lamented to me at the time um, how, how few people even have services now, that people just choose for cost or for whatever reason to not even have a simple memorial service, much less a, gra a graveside service. They just don't have them. They just skip them. They might have the person cremated and have no service whatsoever, nothing to remember them, nothing to call to mind uh, the Lord or, or anything. So my, my advice to you would be, uh, if at all possible, don't skip those things. Let, let those things do you a service and do me a service by being reminded of eternity, that being reminded that, that our lives, as David says, are a mere breath. You know, perhaps this whole subject shows us even more of the wisdom of the Lord in commanding that you and I set apart one day in seven in the fourth commandment. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is holy to the Lord. And in our day in the New Testament age, it's now the Lord's day, it's now the first day of the week. But that fourth commandment, what does it tell us to do? It tells us to stop. In, a, in essence, it says to stop and be still and know that He is the Lord, He is God. When else in your life are we ever going to be able to stop and take the time to consider eternity on a regular basis, if not on the Lord's day? You're all busy. 
when, and rightly so. You work hard, you study hard, you do all kinds of things that are needful. But on the Lord's Day, we're, we're told to stop and consider passages even such as, as this. When else you and I, might you and I take the time to consider the state of our souls before a holy God, if not on the Lord's Day every week? You know, this life, this life, there's so many sayings you could add to this. What do they say? Life is short. Time flies and not just when you're having fun. You know, the older you get, the faster it seems to go by, doesn't it? You know, even, even this last week, I've had personally so many reminders. You know, uh, Eliza starting kindergarten. I can't fathom. Luke turning one last Sunday. How, how is he one year old already? Uh, the passing of, of, of Dan Deaton. You know, it feels like I just saw him. And all of a sudden, he's with the Lord. His labors here are, are over. Uh, there's an old, if you like country music, if you don't, don't be offended. But uh, there's a Kenny Chesney song. The title is Don't Blink. It just goes by. It just goes by quickly. And the, and the life lived for this world alone and for the things of this world goes by even faster. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity outside of the Lord. And David says in verse 6, Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. That verse brings to mind the words of Christ himself in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. He says, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Like, he's had such a big harvest, he doesn't have a place to put it all. Right? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He's going to retire early. Right? But God said to him, what? What did God say to him in reply? Fool! This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? This is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's not saying don't run your business. He's not saying don't have a savings account. He's not saying prepare, don't, prepare, don't prepare for retirement or anything like that. He's saying don't live as if that's it. Don't be rich according to the world and poor toward God. Don't think that all this is just there for you to enjoy and lay up for yourselves. Are you heaping up wealth that someone else is just going to gather up after you're gone? Because that's what happens. And what's the saying? You can't take it with you? You know, princes and paupers get buried the same way. Nothing, nothing gets to go along with them. Uh, or are you rich toward God, as Christ says, through faith? In Jesus Christ. Are you living for today as if the, this world is all that there was? And as if death will never come? Are you living as if death is so far down the road that it's not even anywhere on the radar screen and can't possibly be for years to come? Or are you living in the light of eternity? That God has given you this one life, a hand breath to serve him with your strength and with your life. Well, that brings us to the third and final thing in our psalm. The third and final thing we see in our psalm is David's hope. David's hope. We've seen his silence, his prayer, and now his hope, which is also expressed in his prayer. 
And, you know, when you think of, of points coming one after the other, you might think, well, this hope must be in the last part of the psalm, but it's not. David's hope is in the very middle of the psalm. It's in the very center of the psalm, and by the structure of this psalm, it's really the focal point of the whole thing. It's, it's kind of the shortest verse in the whole thing, and it comes right in the middle. It's if it's, if it's there to draw your eyes to it. Verse 7, he says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So he, tells, he asks God, Teach me the measure of my days. Teach me my end. Make me understand how fleeting my life is. And then after all that, what does he say? Now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. David confesses to us here and would have us understand that his hope and our hope also is in the Lord alone. At the end of the day, our only hope is in the Lord himself. Real, true hope is not in ourselves. It's not in our attainments. It's not in our accomplishments. It's not in our possessions. In fact, sometimes the Lord actually removes those things from you in order to reveal to you that the only true and lasting hope you have is in Him alone. You ever had that happen? You get too wrapped up in something, whether it be possessions or achievement or, or, or pride or whatnot, and God, God weans you away from it, sometimes forcibly. In, in verse 11, David says in our psalm, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, what does he say God does? You consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. It's a pretty harsh thing to hear. That's a pretty severe mercy of God. And that's really what it is if God does that in your life as a believer. In other words, he, he teaches us and reminds us that, that our hope isn't in those things. That when, when you have something more dear to you than the Lord, sometimes the Lord like a moth, it says, consumes that from us, that we might not trust in those things, but that we might trust in him alone. And notice what else David asks of the Lord in verse 8. He asks God to deliver him from his transgressions. That's really the main thing. You know, David hasn't lost sight of the fact that his sufferings aren't his biggest problem. They're a problem. What lies behind those sufferings? What's the real problem that David has? His biggest problem that David and you and I have. It's our transgressions. And he asks to be delivered from his transgressions first and foremost. It was only after that that David would pray for God to remove his stroke from him in verse 10. I don't, I don't pray that way. Maybe you don't pray that way either. I pray this way. I'm having a rough time light right now. You know, let, give me some relief. And if I'm under discipline, I would say, you know, stop. I can't take anymore. What does David say? He, he gets there, but not in that order, doesn't he? He says, deliver me from my transgressions. And then, and only then, does he ask God to lift, lift his heavy hand from him, to remove his stroke from him and give him relief from that hand of, of discipline. May the Lord Jesus Christ teach you and I this morning to number our days that we might, as Moses says, gain a heart of wisdom. May we be led by that to remember that we too, as David says in the end of our psalm, you and I are sojourners, is the word he used, sojourners with God, just like our fathers, those who have passed before us. 
And this world is not your home if you're a believer in Christ. Our only true and lasting hope, as we sang this morning, is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for all of your word, the whole counsel of God, that whether it be sometimes pleasant things or unpleasant things that you have recorded there for us, that you give us these psalms, these passages to teach us how fleeting life is. Give, we ask even this morning, as David and Moses both said, that you would give us grace by your spirit. Teach us to number our days, that we might gain a heart of wisdom, that we might serve you in the strength of our youth, as you command us in your word, that we might live life in light of eternity and live for the glory of Christ. We ask this morning that if anybody here does not yet know you, that you might open the eyes of the blind even today, that, that no one here might live life only for this world and for the things of this world, but live for you and have life in Christ's name, that, uh, that no matter what comes our way, that they could know that you work all those things together for their good, and that death might not be uh, an awful thing, but might be, as, as Rob even mentioned this morning, uh, a blessing that blessed are all who die in Christ, in the Lord. And only that can be said of them. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.